It's Andre's Clementine to shine. This week, we've got a special guest, the new city manager, Andre Corbald. We'll ask him all about his new role, his plans, and your pressing questions from Twitter. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speak Municipally, episode 114. And we've got no time off the bat for putzing around and talking about our week. We've got to go right into the business. Andre Korbalt, who comes in after the rapid fire. Despite up to 17000 per day of fees levied on the contractor due to delays, the Walterdale Bridge has come in right on budget at $155 million. Depending on who you talk to, this will prove exactly their point that either the project was studiously managed or poorly executed, that the bridge was too extravagant or the perfect centerpiece for the River Valley. We tried to talk to Edmontonians near the bridge to get their take on the situation, but even over two years after the bridge's opening, they all told us to get out of their shot. They wanted the perfect view of Edmonton for Instagram. This week, former city councillor Kim Cruchel announced her intention to run for mayor of Edmonton, letting Edmontonians know that, critically, she's for Edmonton. We fed her platform page to a GPT-3 text generation AI, and the following is the result. Quote, But we've already gone into the budget process. We want to improve service levels. We want to get a fair wage, but we know this organization and the community behind it will benefit from it. We hope to take this organization and that organization into the Edmonton Economic Development Society so that you will see the growth for all of us. So here in Edmonton, the first question I ask sometimes is, are we willing to talk about the budget? This is true, though. End quote. Riveting stuff. We're an equal opportunity podcast, so we also fed the Mike Nickel page into an AI. Here's the result. Quote, What you won't see now in this week's newsroom is the ability I left to speak out now about this issue with numerous people in my city. I have been a member and member for this, and even for a few hundred years. The whole reason we were willing to organize against the drug trade is because we aren't concerned about protecting our people. Our livelihoods are extremely important to us and the actions of our governments. We do not want this to be an issue that we can control. We don't allow (laughs) drugs to be distributed across the city, and that hurts. So here in Edmonton, I think it is a very tough balance to strike. But I will always be grateful to the city that is willing to stand up for our rights, and I will always remain a member of the city of Edmonton. (laughs) This is the stupidest thing we've ever done. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And this week, we want to talk to you in our ad segment about searching for Izena. We've talked to you about this before, but it's a special nine-part podcast series chronicling the wildly incomplete stories of female leadership at Edmonton City Hall over the last century. The podcast highlights the untold political journeys of the 31 women who have served on Edmonton City Council since Izena Ross became the first female elected to the municipal body on December 12, 1921. Co-host Stacey Brotzel, who was on Jeopardy this year, shares more about what to expect from this podcast. On December 12th, 1921, Edmontonians went to the polls and made history. At the time, Edmonton was just a tiny place on the map, comprised of just 59,000 people and still reeling from the devastating aftermath of a world war and a global pandemic. During that election, a woman the press described as a housewife received 3,341 votes and became our city's very first female councillor. Her name? Izena Ross. Join me, Stacey Brotzel, and my co-host Kim Ann Wilson on January 19th when we launch Searching for Izena, 
on womanly stories of female leadership at Edmonton City Hall. You can find Searching for Izena on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, head on over to searchingforizena.com. So right off the top, we're going to get right into the meat of the episode today because we've got a pretty exciting episode. I think we're the first media organization to get a full sit-down interview with our new city manager since he took on the role, but we've got Andre Corbold on the show talking about being the new city manager of the city of Edmonton. Welcome to the show, Andre. Thank you, Mac and Troy. Good to see you. Uh, so I think first we have to address the elephant in the room. Do you live in St. Albert? I do, actually, but uh, we are house hunting. My wife and I uh, are committed to moving to the city of Edmonton. We, uh, we we mainly live in St. Albert because when I was in the military, it was close to the basin and our kids went to school here. Um, and so, yeah, we are looking... Uh, on weekends, when we have time, we are trolling around Edmonton looking for a place to move to. And uh, I feel it's important uh, as a city manager to live in the city that uh, I am going to be asked to manage. So that's our plan. And uh, we hope to do that uh, this year. I think people will be happy to hear that that's important to you. I assume that wasn't a requirement of taking the job. No, it's a for me. It's a personal preference. Uh, my wife and I had uh, uh, talked about this before I even applied for the job, and we we agreed that uh, from the beginning that uh, if I got the job, I we would move to Edmonton. And to be fair, it's not our first time living in Edmonton. I've lived in Edmonton as a child, and uh, in fact, when my wife and I got married back in 1996, we we moved to Edmonton, lived in Skyview. So, yeah, happy to come back. You do mention that it was important to you. You are now in a position where you get to decide a little bit what is important at the city of Edmonton. You obviously, on a personal note, think it's important to live in the city that you manage. What about senior leadership at the city of Edmonton? Do you think it's important and something that it should be encouraged that they live in the city as well? Or is that something you're a bit more hands off about? Yeah, I think that's a personal choice for for senior leaders at, at, in the city. This is a personal choice for me. I think the the councillors, the elected officials, uh, clearly were, uh, live in the city. They represent their wards, and that's you know that's the public uh, commitment. There, uh, this is a personal preference for me. Uh, I'm really not going to get into who lives in the city and who doesn't. Uh, and I also think it's not bad having leadership that work in the city uh, living in Metro Edmonton, if you will, because that also, also prompts uh, good collaborations and, uh, you know, uh, cooperation with our regional partners, which, as you know, is a big, uh, important piece of the work we do here in Edmonton. We should stop with the antagonism right off the start <laughs> and maybe get into some more softball questions. Let's get to know you a little bit. How would you describe your new role at the city? Because every city manager can sort of take a new swing at the bat. They can interpret the role in many different ways. They can be more hands-off, more hands-on. How do you see your role at the city now that you've started? Well, I am the leader of the city uh, in terms of the administration. My job is to orchestrate, uh, is really the orchestra conductor of this great orchestra. We have uh, almost 12,000 employees in the city doing great work for Edmontonians. And my job is to integrate, uh, express vision, um, make sure people have the tools to do the job that we're asking them to do for Edmontonians uh, and overall orchestrate things. Uh, and of course, I have a role to ensure that we're uh, following the direction that council provides us because of course they represent the folks who elected them. 
It's a big organization. I'm sure there's a lot still to learn, but how are you feeling about the first two weeks? Yeah, I'm feeling really good. Thanks. Uh, it's uh, a great team and I'm joining the team. Um, I am going to do a lot of uh, frontline outreach to our employees, and I'm sure we'll talk about employee engagement here. But, uh, you know, I, I decided uh, first thing Monday morning on the 18th when I started, I, I went to the Kathleen Andrews uh, Transit Garage, met some employees. Of course, it's, you know, you can't meet everyone given the COVID restrictions. But, um, you know, it was really interesting both to see that uh, that building and that that great piece of infrastructure, but also more importantly, the, the people. And it was it was interesting because I was able to uh, stop in on a class of employees who had that were, were also starting their very first day as employees in the city of Edmonton. So it was nice to meet about uh, 10 uh, folks at the transit garage who were starting their first day too. So we'll, we'll uh, you know, start together. It was a nice moment. Nice little cohort. Um, something I've been wondering about is the title. Uh, city manager is your title. And I'm wondering if you think that's appropriate for the leader of an organization of 14,000 people in a city like Edmonton with a million people. Should, should it be a C-level title? Is that important to you? Do you think about that? No, it's not important to me. I, I'm going to go by Andre, and uh, I think people are going to get to know me, and, and I'll lead as Andre, and uh, I think uh, city manager is entirely appropriate. I think it describes, it's not very exciting, but uh, it def- definitely describes the role uh, from an administrative perspective. I'm fine with that. Uh, in fact, I prefer it uh, more than, than CAO, so, um, uh, and I'm, I'm fine with that. But I'm going to be Andre, and uh, I'll lead the team as Andre. Why is that important to you? Why is it important to be Andre? Because it's about engagement. My job is to set a shared vision for the city, um, and I have to engage with employees to do that. Now, there's 12,000 of them, so I'm not going to meet every one of them every day, uh, but they need to know who I am, and uh, and I, I think they deserve to know who their leader is, and so I'm going to spend quite a bit of time engaging with them. So I, I put out an introductory video on my first day. Uh, I'm introducing, I'm, and the, the good thing about that is I'm, I'm getting replies to some of those notes. I'm emailing all staff. Some people are replying, which I really appreciate, um, and it's going to take a long time for me to get to know uh, as many as I can, uh, but it's important that we have uh, a relationship, and, and I think they need to trust me as well, and trust comes with, with sharing um, and uh, being open and transparent, and that's what I'm going to try to do. So you talk a bit about setting the shared vision for the city. And unfortunately, you don't have unilateral authority to set that vision. You've got a council above you, which I think it's fair to say sometimes can't decide exactly what it wants and sometimes gives conflicting direction. How do you as city manager navigate that? Yeah, well, I would say council has set direction with the approval of the city plan, which is our 20-year vision. And of course, Connect Edmonton, which looks out even further to uh, 40 or 50 years. And I got to say, this is the first time in my career where I've shown up in a job and been presented with a very clear vision um, that is very recently approved by council. Uh, on my first first day. So I really feel that my vision is to implement that. Now, where my personal touch will come is is how I do that and how I work with employees, how we motivate employees, how we provide employees the tools um, and how we, um, you know, encourage them to do the work uh, that is set out in the vision. And as I have mentioned in a couple of uh, places, it, it's great having a 20-year vision and even beyond that with Edmonton Connect. Uh, but you also have to balance that off with the here and now problems. Uh, 
and and while visions are important and they're aspirational and they're good to to guide the future work, that doesn't mean that we're not going to fix potholes and deal with you know the the issues of the day. And I really believe the city manager in my role, my my job is to find that proper balance where we're striving for the vision, uh, but also um, you know dealing with the here and now problems uh, of of the city of Edmonton. I think we might jump right into, I'd say, one of the biggest here and now problems. The city doesn't have the best track record for employee happiness and a culture of harassment or a culture of city employees not feeling safe to report issues of abusive work environments. You know, we've seen some damning reports from city auditors and we've seen some damning city surveys. You're stepping into the role as new city manager and I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that's not your ideal organization. How do you go about combating that? Yeah, well, I'm going to get into that in a big way. I'm, I've uh, been briefed initially on some of the recent survey results. And and like others, I've watched it uh, from a distance as well. Um, f- first of all, uh, my, my view is I've got to engage with the employees. I've got to really understand what those concerns are. Uh, I, I really don't tolerate, and uh, I think I've got a good track record of not tolerating um, disrespectful workplace uh, uh, conduct. Uh, I, I think I have a, a duty and a responsibility to take care of all 12,000 employees and make sure they're getting treated well. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of things I need to do. The first is to engage with employees and get to know them and, and really dig into these survey results and understand what the the root cause of the of some of the issues are uh, I need to work with uh, the unions, and I've, I will be reaching out to them soon. I have uh, spoken to uh, to uh, CSU 52 already, and we'll reach out to the other shortly. But I, we need, to, you know, there's some great common uh, ground here for us to work with employees and improve some of those things. Um, and I've got a long list of things we're going to need to do, but I've got to engage. Uh, we've got to understand what the issues are. And then one of the other pieces uh, I'm going to do is... Um, I don't know if it's there yet, but I want to create what I would call an employee advisory committee uh, that meets with the city manager on a routine basis. And I like to call these uh, people accountability partners because they can keep the senior leadership accountable for uh, the issues of the day and the problems that the employees are encountering. And so we're going to try to find a a way of getting this committee together uh, so it's a very safe place uh, and people can speak their mind. And sometimes... Uh, employees may not want to be part of that group, but they will talk to people on that on that committee and in that group and relay messages. And so I hope to get that going and meet with that, that group uh, as soon as I can. That's actually a really fascinating concept uh, because you have a military history and the idea of having a group of city employees that sort of skip a report and go directly to you, the city manager, kind of violates chain of command. Uh, could you get into sort of how chain of command translates to a civilian organization like the city of management and why you chose to step outside of it for this. Yeah. So um, to be honest, it's, it's actually a, a best practice in, uh, in the military too. In fact, uh, we used to call them uh, commanding officers hours or break brigade commanders hours or troop commanders hours. And the whole point was for the senior leader to get together with uh, the frontline troops and hear directly uh, what their concerns were and what their issues are. That, that is part of that culture that I came from. Uh, and I've seen it in play in the public service and I, I have seen it in play uh, a bit here at Edmonton and it works really well. 
Um, people have to be honest. You you hear some really good honest thoughts, and the way I describe it as the the chain of command, or if you will, the chain of accountability, as I like to refer to it here in the city, uh, is very important because it's efficient. It helps us get things done, and you can delegate decisions, and 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 so not everything has to come uh, up to the top. So that's a very important process with uh, with getting work done. But what you do by having a committee, like I've described, is you for you temporarily flatten the the chain of accountability so that you can get some really gr- real ground truth uh, and start to uh, dig into those problems and and solve them for the employees. I mean, look, every every employee in the city of Alberta um, has a, a passion for what they do. Uh, sorry, in the city of Edmonton, has a passion for what they do, um, and they want to do work. They want to do their jobs. They want to have the right tools to do their jobs. Uh, and and for me to really know what's going on uh, everywhere in the city, I'm going to have to have some direct contact. So it's done through a series of, of visits. It's done through, uh, you know, committees like I've talked about. And uh, and it's done by meeting people and talking to people. So I won't ask you to, you know, comment or criticize on your predecessors, but I'm guessing that they all had good intentions and certainly didn't set out to have, uh, you know, issues in the workplace. The engagement sounds like an important step. Do you think it's enough to make employees at the city feel like things can be different? No, I don't think engaging is is enough. I, I think engaging is what I call the problem definition phase of uh, of uh, you know employee um, concerns. Uh, it's it's it means nothing to engage and then do nothing about it. So um, and, and I would you know ask this the city employees to to not judge by the engagement but but judge judge me by the deeds we do uh, after the engagement. Um, and so what I like to always do is when I when I hear people, we we address the issues. And you know we're never going to agree 100 percent of the time on what the solutions to those issues are, but um, I will do my best. To, to deal with them and uh, acknowledge them and do something about it. The other thing I'm wondering about on, on this uh, topic is the time frame because, you know, you're new. I recognize you've got to get up to speed. You want to do that listening. You want to engage properly. But for folks who have been working at the city for potentially a long time in a culture like this, I'm sure time is of the essence. Do you have a time frame in mind for when you'd like to be able to say things have changed, maybe to look at survey results and report that things have improved? Well, I, I do believe uh, this kind of thing is a continual thing. Uh, you can't, th- there, this is not a one-stop deal where we engage, we fix some issues, and then we move on and we, we say that's over. This is a continual improvement. Uh, I like leading uh, learning organizations or organizations that evolve uh, and innovate and and do positive things, uh, and so there's never an end to this kind of thing. You have to continually engage, continually adapt, uh, and 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 you know deal with the environment we're in. So it's never going to stop. Right. Having said that, uh, I believe in, you know in the next in the next six to twelve months, uh, we'll we'll make some adjustments and and uh, uh, if you know as they're required. I, I also you know believe that a lot of things are really going well. The the you know I I've encountered a lot of employees right now that are really happy about the work and the work they do and leadership they have. Uh, and so, you know, this is not um, uh, everywhere, uh, but we'll, we'll certainly work on the areas where we need to improve. So speaking of improving specific areas, one of the ways the city has tried to do that in the past is with the big city reorg, which the ripple effects are still 
filtering down through all orders of the 12 to 14,000 employees of the city. Is something like that in the future? Do you look at the org structure of the city and think there are some improvements to be made here? Are you having an eye for changing some of the structure of some of the departments within the city? Yeah, I will certainly take a look at that, but I can, uh, I mean, you you certainly uh, have read it. There, There is org change fatigue in the city, and, and <laughs> my initial uh, perspective is that um, I think they've made some amazing, good org changes in the city in the past several years, in particular, uh, the ability for different departments to integrate. And when I look at our current executive team, the way they are integrating, it's it's quite amazing, not just at the deputy city manager level, but throughout the organization at every level, you see really good integration. So I believe the org uh, design for the city is a good one uh, right now. And uh, other than some tinkering that is going on, that, that should always uh, be the case. I have no immediate plans to do a big reorg. I know you said you were looking into this, uh, but there's been a lot of criticism about potentially that there are too many managers or, or too many employees at management level at the city. Is that something that you've come any further in your understanding of and your opinion of? Yeah, that's certainly part the the main part that I'm going to look at. Uh, I've you know I've uh, I've reviewed the uh, city auditor's report. And I'm going to meet with him soon to to delve into that a bit. It's something I've committed to report back to council um, in you know within three months in terms of. Me as a new guy, my, my impression and perspective on, on that uh, particular issue. And this, uh, this applies to uh, the level of management folks and uh, as well as, you know, uh, consultants and contractors and those things. So it's part of my sort of first three-month evaluation. And I've got a commitment to report back to council on that, and, and I will do so. Uh, my sense, my initial sense from uh, what I've perceived so far is that uh, this is not a problem everywhere throughout the entire city. Um, and, and I've already seen a couple of cases where uh, things have been done and adjusted slightly uh, since uh, the fall uh, to, to look at some of those things. Um, I take it from a principal's perspective. Um, I think management is absolutely essential to, uh, to the org moving forward and getting things done. Um, but I also believe that, you know, there are certain um criteria if you will for what's the right level of management how many uh how many people for example a manager should uh, be supervising and how many levels of management there are between the city manager and the frontline staff uh, and it should never exceed seven levels in my opinion and uh, you know five and six is even better so i'll take a look at all that um and and uh you know, adjust as required. But the the integration level of the city is really good right now. The org design, I think, is really positive. So how many direct reports should a manager have? How many how many do you have? Well, it really sometimes depends on whether you've got an operational job or where you've got a whether you've got a, a policy job. So, you know, I've got uh, my deputy city managers uh, that work in the city that report directly directly to me, as well as the the office of the city manager, which includes uh, chief of staff and city solicitor, and of course the city clerk. Um, but for example, if, if you're a shift worker, if you're a supervisor, uh, of, of shift workers, you can often supervise, uh, many more employees, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the scope of work. So, you know, you, you can't just look at this. There's no, no, there's no blanket answer for every part of the department or part of the city. You have to be, uh, you know, you got to look at the job figure out what the supervis- supervisory requirements are and, uh, and get the right level. 
Your answer there um, contained a bit of nuance, and it dawns on me that you're taking up the job probably in one of the most contentious council election years we've had in a decade or two. Uh, We have many incumbent councillors leaving, our very well-liked incumbent mayor retiring, and we have the threat of political action committees and other big money entering city council races where we haven't had that before. So I would imagine that your role is politically tenuous right now, and especially stuff like this management issue, that's going to be used as a political football. How are you navigating that climate? I know we've seen in the past uh, when issues get politically sensitive, even when they're within the purview of the city manager, he kicked it up to council and said, hey, I want your sign off on this just so it's your fault, not mine. To what extent will you be going back to council for that sign off on politically sensitive issues? Yeah, I don't see it changing because of the election. Look, I'm uh, obviously a big fan of democracy and I'm really excited about the election because uh, this gives Edmontonians the chance to to choose their representatives and will take direction from those representatives. Uh, I have no intention of changing uh, my advice to council. because of the election. And uh, I've worked for a lot of governments at both the federal and provincial level, and I've never changed my advice um, in election time or election period because uh, my duty is to provide the you know my honest and best advice I can to uh, counsel, and I'm never going to stop doing that. Just thinking about how you make the workforce feel more comfortable, how you make sure that you've got good perspectives to make informed decisions, I have to ask you, you're a a white man in this role. How can you in your role um, make women, people of color, you know, other other minorities feel more welcome at the city of Edmonton and ensure that the perspectives of those citizens are taken into account when you're making decisions? I have to talk to them. I have to engage with them and understand really what um, and get a real genuine sense of what their concerns are and what they uh, they need. And so I'm committed to doing that. Um, I, I think uh, we'll be looking at, you know, who's in the city? Are we are we a representative uh, and inclusive and diverse city? I am. Uh, I'm very feeling very positive about our policy perspective on this. We have some amazing policies in the city in terms of dealing uh, with diversity and inclusion. Uh, I think we, you know, it's now about action. One, for example, is uh, gender-based analysis plus, uh, which is obviously not just about gender, but a, a, about uh, uh, race and and complete diversity. Uh, you know, we are working towards making that um, a requirement of any city council report. Um, making sure that we do the proper analysis, we engage with the right communities. Uh, I believe we have a, a, a pretty gender diverse executive leadership team at the city, um, and you know we need to work on all facets of diversity for sure. So I think there's more work to do on that, um, and part of it is education, part of it's learning. Uh, I was pleased to see that the executive leadership team had embarked on some formal uh, anti-racism training uh, in order to better understand this as we move forward and better understand how a senior leadership team uh, can uh, be positive in this regard. And so I I really think this is a a very important responsibility um, and we'll, we'll continue to do more. But bottom line is I need to reach out to communities and understand and uh, work with them 
and listen to everyone. And I will. All right, let's change gears a little, Andre. I want to ask you about uh, climate change. It's something that people have been asking a lot about and something we, we keep hearing is going to be a big issue in that forthcoming election. But uh, we've declared a climate emergency in Edmonton. And I'm curious to know if you think the city of Edmonton is actually treating it like one. What, what, what else do we need to do to tackle this important topic? Yeah, well, certainly it's uh, it's important, and uh, I've got lots of perspective on on that. Um, I, I think um, it, it's good that the city has shown leadership with respect to uh, some of the things we're doing. Uh, I think we have to continue to do that work. I need to dig into that a bit more. Um, in, in you know, my first week and a half, haven't dug into that file a, a ton. I, I think I have a perspective, though, coming uh, having been a former deputy minister of environment. Um, when when we uh, did a lot of work on climate change, look, I think it's important. I think we have to balance it off with uh, you know um, uh, economic development as well, and I think uh, there is a good balance there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, um, I'm we we have to do these things. We we have to take uh, some steps. I think we've done a lot in the city, and I think there's more to do in the city as well. Uh, and we'll continue to do that work. We've talked on this podcast a lot about how our urban form and how our design of the city is one of the biggest impacts towards climate change. And in Edmonton, it's our infatuation with the personal car. And I think it's fair to say that much of the city administration does like their car. You need only look at the city hall parkade. The question to you, looking for houses in Edmonton, have you ever used Edmonton Transit for commuting? And do you think that that's necessary that you get boots on the ground experiencing transit in order to tackle climate change from that angle? Yeah. So I'm first of all, I'm a big believer in transit. Uh, I use it generally from a working perspective and I have used it generally from a working perspective, uh, mostly the LRT uh, uh, from a working perspective. Uh, in, in my role of working downtown. I used to use it a lot um, when I was a DM uh, in, uh, in the Deputy Minister of Agriculture and Forestry, and we 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 were down the south campus there. So anytime I had a meeting downtown, quite often I'd take the LRT. It was just, it was faster and, uh, and quite frankly, easier. So I've mostly used the LRT and I've mostly used it for either work in those cases, zipping around uh, back and forth between uh, downtown and, and extensions. And I've used it for recreational region, you know, reasons to go to, you know, park somewhere else and go to a hockey game, that sort of thing. So um, haven't spent a lot of time on buses, although my children have because they both uh, attend the University of Alberta and uh, did transit every day to go back and forth there. How, how do you feel when you hear Troy say that we're a pretty car friendly city or a car addicted city? Is that you think a fair representation of Edmonton? And is that something you hope will change? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's a fair representation because uh, and and I think you have to think about um, the transit now versus the transit of the future. Uh, once the transit system is complete, once the LRT is complete in the future, uh, I think you'll have a lot more folks uh, taking transit. So I think what you see now is is some people, it's just not convenient to take transit because, for example, you know, the LRT is not built out in, ev- in every extension. Uh, but I do think you'll find that that changes um, the more we develop the transit system. Uh, I mean, I spent several years in Ottawa uh, and a- any time I was there, uh, I took transit because the system was set up such that it was, you know, 20 minutes uh, from my the door of my house to downtown. 
uh, and it was convenient. So it's all about making sure we have a good transit system. People will use it if it's uh, speedy and convenient and gets them where they need to get. So the metro line hasn't been speedy. Uh, <laughs> how how are we going to get that project over the finish line and and also the valley line southeast? Like these are the two big LRT projects that people are are concerned about and want to see finished. Uh, you know, never mind the rest of the network as you're talking about. How can you, uh, in your role, make sure that those projects are done well and and get completed? Yeah, well, I still have to dig into the uh, the projects, but um, you know, we certainly have uh, all the right goals in place, and there's no there's no question what the uh, the requirement is in terms of when, when things need to be completed and how they need to be completed. Um, I, I've I've got some experience with uh, some big infrastructure projects, namely on on the highway side with uh, with ring roads in Calgary and Edmonton and uh, uh, twinning of Highway 63. So what I like to do with project management is really dig into it and assess the progress of your projects using five or six different mechanisms. So, uh, you know, you look at the project controls, you look at the financial expenditures because they give you an indication of how well the project's going. Uh, you check in with the people of Edmonton to see what their perspective is on those projects and and are they working and the accommodations working around the construction sites and things like that. And you just have to take a constant look at everything uh, through different lenses. And that's what I'll, I'll do with, with uh, all these projects. So uh, a lot of work to dig into, but I, I would also say that uh, there's been some amazing progress in the city in the last couple of years. Uh, when you look at the project completion rate uh, for 2020, for example, uh, you know, 93% of the projects uh, were completed on budget, 81% were on schedule. That That is better. That is improvement compared to some of the years before. Uh, so that's my job to do, dig into those things a bit and make sure that we're always meeting uh, those timelines. I would. The last thing I would say on this is that uh, lessons learned is so key. You have to continually learn lessons through every um, project, how things go, what works well, what doesn't work well, and we've always got to keep in mind, um, you know, what's going on for the citizens around these projects because they can be disruptive, they can be sometimes frustrating. We can mitigate and accommodate citizens uh, as best we can, but we always have to listen to them about what's working and what's not working around these construction projects. So I'm also committed to doing that. Let's talk a little bit about that learning lessons piece, because we have an infatuation in Edmonton with pilot projects and with doing research. I recall when we were installing the downtown bike grid, we did a lot of city-based research of, well, how can this work? Can separated bike lanes really work in a downtown city? Neglecting to notice that Calgary had already done it and had all the data. We continually do our own research in the city of Edmonton without looking at lessons learned in other places. Do you want to leverage that a little bit more? Or do you think there's a lot of merit to focusing on how solutions could work specifically here in the special area of Edmonton? Yeah, I think it's a combination of both. I love learning lessons from other people's mistakes. And so if I can learn something from a different uh, city in Canada, or quite frankly, worldwide, uh, I, I'm happy to do that. So I, I think we also have to, uh, you know, adapt uh, lessons learned and consider lessons learned within the context of Edmonton, because, you know, we, we have some things here that are specific, not, not the least of which is, is our weather and our location. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a, a combination. Uh, I'm a big fan of jurisdictional scans. 
before launching on work, comparing what others have done, uh, seeing what they've done. I will spend lots of time reading about that. Uh, and I would also say that recently, um, uh, more because of COVID, but some of the uh, bigger cities in Edmonton, some of the city managers are getting together on a routine basis to compare notes. And uh, I was on my first call with that uh, group of large Canadian city city uh, managers today. And we talked about COVID, but we also talked about downtown core issues. And we talked about um uh, you know, safety and wellness issues as well. So I think uh, there's great opportunity for collaboration uh, with, you know, like-sized cities in the country. Uh, and of course, through uh, FCM, the the, uh, the national uh, sort of urban uh, group of folks that, that get together. And, and hey, I'm, I'm all for learning from whoever we can learn from. I think uh, one of the things that pilot projects are also perhaps a symptom of is a bit of a risk aversion, a mentality or culture of risk aversion at the city. And, you know, recognize that we're working with taxpayer dollars and you pointed out that these things have projects and things have big impacts on citizens. But do you think that the city is too risk averse? How do you cultivate that culture of innovation, that sort of risk taking that is necessary to, you know, make those leaps forward that can really have an impact for citizens? No, I think the uh, the city is uh, willing to take risks, um, and I would always say that a, a risk is only a good risk if it's a calculated risk. So you have to think about mitigating that risk along the way. Uh, my sense is the city has tried some things; they're moving forward. Uh, I, I am uh, very comfortable taking risks as, as long as they are calculated, and part of that calculation includes understanding what the potential pitfalls are and making sure you've got ways to mitigate it or, or get out of it if that happens. So, um, you know, I, I don't think I, I've fairly assessed the level of risk taking uh, the city's uh, willing to take at this point, um, but we'll continue to, to look at that. I, I do believe council made uh, a very good decision uh, this past week with uh, with the grant for the downtown construction sites. And I think that's going to pay off in terms of uh, helping uh, developers uh, who were thinking about potentially shelving some pot projects and helping them move towards, uh, you know, getting them done and taking that leap uh, of faith with some uh, incentives uh, from the city, which I think will really pay off for the entire city. We've talked a lot about changes that you want to make and improvements that you want to make at, around the city, but what's something that you will actively work to prevent changing at the city? Something that you expect you might feel pressured to change, but you think should remain just as it is? Well, I, I'm going to start with the employees. I, I, I think um, every employee I've met so far in the city of Edmonton is passionate about the work they do. They enjoy the people they work with. They, they enjoy uh, the work they're doing. Um, and so I think, you know, that personal uh, motivation, that personal desire to work in this city, live in this city, do things for this city. I hope we don't ever change that because I think that is the strength of the the city employees. Um, and I also uh, hope we never change the way Edmontonians speak up. And I hope we always listen to Edmontonians because they are vocal, they are clear, uh, they're not afraid to uh, express what their concerns are going in the city. And, and I think, you know, we have to listen to that. And I believe the city has listened to that in the past. And, and I hope we continue to doing that. I mean, there are a lot of great things about the city, um, the festivals, uh, the tourism, um, the, the community partnership. 
I've, I've been involved in uh, United Way uh, for the last seven or eight years. Uh, and that, you know, that's just one example of how this community comes together in crisis and in normal times to focus on giving and helping. And so there's so many positive uh, cultural aspects of this city uh, that I hope never change. So it's an election year. It's also year two of our pandemic. Lots of financial struggles and, and impacts for the city and, and all of Edmontonians. But is there something that you're looking forward to in 2021? I think some people are feeling like, you know, it might be more of the same, more of 2020, which wasn't a great year for a lot of folks. Is there something about this coming year that you're particularly excited about in your new role? Well, I am excited about the election because I just love democracy and I love to see that in action. And, uh, you know, we'll work with uh, the city clerk to make sure uh, she gets all the support to uh, end elections. Uh, Edmonton gets all the support to, to run this election really well. But I really like uh, democracy in action. And so I'm looking forward to to seeing that happen from, from this new perspective I have as a city manager. I think, uh, first and foremost, I, I am very looking forward to uh, the end of the pandemic um, and uh, emerging out of this pandemic ready to seize any opportunities that may arise um, that will be enjoyable it will be enjoyable to uh, to go down to restaurants downtown and and experience the Edmonton we all know in the way we want to experience uh, it so I think that'll be a really good moment uh, I obviously think it's tied to um, the you know the um, vaccine rollout and uh, we in fact have uh, are working on plans to help the province with that rollout in any way we can uh, mostly from a logistics and um, um, transportation and management of sites uh, perspective if we can so I think that I think everybody's gonna love uh, when we get out of this pandemic and I think it's I think the time will come uh, we just have to continue to be vigilant until that day is here I think the last question we're going to leave you with is one that our listeners really want to know. The Talus Dome, fantastic piece in a fantastic spot or a waste of money in the wrong place? Ooh, <laughs> I haven't a question. got one. <laughs> I have not informed an impression on that, you know, so I'm going to wait and see. I've, I, you know, no, no, no opinion yet on that. Sorry. Thanks, Andre. Um, do you have anything else you want to leave our listeners with as we close? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind a couple things. Um, the first is that, um, you know, you asked about what, what we should keep uh, doing. I think one of the other things that we have to do and consider and, and really uh, bring forth some, some smart recommendations to council is just, you know, the vulnerable population, the safety of the community, uh, the social side of things in the, set, in, in the city. Um, you know, we are uh, working uh, on that now. We've got uh, lots of work to do on that. Um, and I think we have to uh, consider options for, for doing that differently. I really want to make sure that we take care of, of uh, vulnerable Edmontonians. We have ways to ensure uh, safety in the community. Uh, and so that's a big piece of work. And, you know, I've had my first chat with Chief McPhee about that and, and others uh, and really looking forward to uh, the work that um, um, some of the task force is doing in terms of preparing some recommendations that, that come out of the community on that. And then the other thing I'd like to say is, um, I, you know, because I just haven't had a chance to, to express my appreciation for uh, the Indigenous community uh, that, that is in the Edmonton area. I, I had 
probably one of the, the well, the best meeting I've had since I've been the city manager today with, with 10 uh, Indigenous elders uh, here in the city of Edmonton. And we chatted about, uh, uh, you know, uh, a framework that we need to do to put together to, to help and uh, with the Indigenous community. And it was just a fascinating discussion and, and great collaboration. So I really thank them for their time today. We spent two or three hours uh, talking about those things. And this is really important work that we have to do as a community. So I really look forward to, to uh, working on those matters as well. So thank you very much for your time tonight. Yeah, thank you, Andre. There's so much we probably didn't ask you. Uh, your role is multifaceted and you're responsible for a huge number of portfolios at the city. But thanks for answering all the questions we did have time to ask you about. This episode is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation. The foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group. Once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on millennials. You can learn more at ecfoundation.org. The best part of a podcast is when the guest before signing off says, hey, you didn't ask me that one question that I saw on Twitter. I thought it was a really good one. And by golly, did Andre ever do that to us? One of the questions we got from Twitter was about coal mining and the headwaters because most of Edmonton's water comes from the North Saskatchewan River. In fact, all of it, if I'm not mistaken, and all of the water for many of our surrounding communities. So headwater security is pretty important to us. How would you as city manager protect that headwater? Yeah, thanks. So I I believe um, the city and uh, on behalf of Edmontonians has uh, an absolute responsibility to uh, make sure that we understand what's in our vital interests. And one of our vital interests as a city is uh, our water supply. And as you noted, uh, that that is uh, coming out of the headwaters uh, from the Rockies in the North Saskatchewan area. Uh, I really know that Nordegg area while well. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fly fisherman. So I've, I've spent all sorts of time in the Nordegg area on the, on the Blackstone River and the North Ram River and uh, understand very well uh, where that water comes from and how it gets to Edmonton. So we, we have been uh, looking at, at what's going on and uh, we have commenced an analysis to uh, figure out uh, that, you know, uh, if there are changes to the policy and clearly there's been some changes, we're going to assess that and, and figure out uh, if there is an impact to what I believe is a vital interest to this city, which is our headwaters that starts in the Bighorn area. Uh, now, I also have uh, some good confidence in um, the regulatory system on this, and but you know that doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking at it and uh, challenge it and asking questions. So we'll be uh, diving into this, doing our own city analysis, um, and uh, you know providing an opinion to council on on what that means and how they might uh, consider engaging if they need to. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that this change was pretty unilateral from the provincial government without pretty significant consultation with the municipalities that it affects. And I think back to the city charters when those got torn up uh, when the new government came into power as, as another example of the government making changes that affect cities without consulting cities. Is there something within your role as a city manager that you need 
to do to make cities more resilient to this provincial meddling? Is there some advocacy you're doing? How can we make our cities more robust against whims of provincial governments down the line? Well, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't complain about the provincial government. They've got a job to do, and I understand that job very well, as you can imagine, since, since I was there. That's not the issue. The issue is the city has to be uh, inquisitive and proactive um, uh, and understand what's going on. There's no reason why we can't be in, engaged on these issues at the front end. Uh, we don't have to wait for consultations. We can see what's going on, uh, predict what's going on. There's a lot of data about what's, what's uh, happening with you know coal leases, for example, who's applying for them who's looking at them and I don't need anybody to come to the city asking us to consult on this we we can find this out ourselves and form our own opinion and and that's what I would intend to lead uh, and work through and then we'll engage with our partners at the province and and express our concerns and work with them and there's a lot of good folks uh, that we can work with on, on that aspect so I you know I'm not too worried about this in terms of there will be lots of collaboration lots of ways to work through uh, the the issues but I don't need anybody to come to the city and say, you know, we need to consult with you. We have all the tools we need to investigate this ourselves, figure it out, figure out what affects our vital interest and engage with the province in a proactive way. And, and so we'll be doing some of that for sure. And that's all for this week. A huge thanks to Andre for showing up on a Thursday night right before the hockey game to talk to us. I was told I'm contractually obligated now to say, go Oilers, sports ball. Um, Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Andre. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.